and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show, talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. This time I'm talking to Victoria Hark about her stunning landscapes. Originally from the UK and a resident of British Columbia, Canada since 2007, she's heavily influenced by the beautiful environment that surrounds her. Victoria has a background in fine art and anthropology. This combined with her love of the natural world brings a unique perspective to her photography. Her ethos is to tread lightly, observe and search out the subtle visual story within whichever photographic genre she's working. Her work covers the fields of landscape, portrait, wedding, event, promotion, editorial, stock and photography education, allowing her to stay creative and excited about the projects she undertakes. Victoria has been published by numerous media outlets around the globe, online and in print, including the BBC, CBC, N-Photo magazine, Outdoor Photography and many others. She's a freelance writer for Photo News magazine and was a regular contributor to Outdoor Photography Canada magazine. On top of all this, she's a Nikon Canada ambassador and Lower Pro Global ambassador. We discuss her creative process and the way social media has shaped photography, as well as how to stay balanced with all the noise that can be created around social media. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Victoria. Great to have you on the podcast. How are you going? I'm good. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. Ah, an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm really chuffed to have you uh, on board. Uh, I, I think you're my first Canadian, though, um, as people will probably tell throughout this, uh, you've actually got a, a, an English accent. So where, whereabouts are you from, um, both originally and also now? Um, so, yeah, originally from the UK, just to confuse everybody, and um, I was, I've was i lived all over the UK, but um, mo- mostly in Dorset, so on the south coast, and um, I moved to Canada about 13 years ago now. So, yeah, there's no, I don't think there's any chance of me picking up the Canadian accent at this point, but um, yeah. A bit light. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but yeah, so now I live in British Columbia, so I'm kind of in central southern British Columbia. Mm-hmm. So for those people that know Canada, I'm kind of midway between Vancouver and Calgary. So relatively close to the Rockies and, you know, it's a kind of five hours between each of those two places. Yeah. Okay. So obviously a lot of your photography is based around the Rockies. And I, I guess we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, you know, in, in a, a little later in the episode, but what actually got you started with photography and in particular landscape photography? Um, well, I've always been into the arts. So when I was at school, um, you know, I was I was always studying art and I actually um, started a fine art degree and I was going to do sculpture. So I've always had a kind of interest in the visual side of things. Uh, dropped out of that and then did an art history degree, which was kind of art history and anthropology. I did a lot of non-Western art. Um, studied a lot, a lot of non-Western art, um, finished that degree and then ended up living um, on a small island in the UK and working for the National Trust, which is uh, Europe's largest conservation charity. So I was working for them on this small 500 acre island. Um, it was a nature reserve. 
no shops or anything like that. We had a castle, but not very much happening in terms of shops or anything. Um, only 30 residents, including the children. And the first boat leaving the island was around 8.30 in the morning. And then the last one will be at 4.30 in the afternoon. And so um, we were fairly kind of stuck on this island and I lived there for 10 years. And it was whilst I lived there that I picked my camera back up. So um, I would walk the island pathways with my dog and then later with my daughter when we had a little girl. And um, I would notice things like, you know, changing light conditions and, you know, fog in the trees, things like that. And it really kind of sparked or kind of re-sparked my interest in the visual, in the arts and stuff. Um, and photography was a combination of, of, of that visual, the visual arts, but also I was into conservation and that kind of stuff as well. So it was a really good kind of melding of the two things. Um, so I literally picked my camera up and that's when I started shooting again and and haven't put it down since really. Um, and I I kind of, because I lived in on that small island, I didn't have anybody to share stuff with. And so I started using, um, at the time it was called uh, Deviant Art. I think it still exists. It's a, yeah, it is still around. I, I had yeah. a Deviant account at, at some Did point. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> But way back in the dim dark past, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of that's where I was sharing um, sharing my my work, and then really kind of seeing other people's work, learning from what I was seeing from other people, um, and getting feedback on my own stuff, and just trying to improve that way. But um, it was you know I couldn't really join a camera club. Um, couldn't go, it was difficult to shoot anything apart from this 500 acres. And I think that that has, to some extent, shaped the kind of photographer that I've become because I've had to shoot within 500 acres for so long. Um, and so then when I moved to Canada 13 years ago, it was kind of like opening Pandora's box because suddenly, you know, Canada is vast, you know, and I could hop in a vehicle or go for a hike and just so much uh, possibility and and um yeah kind of that that's how it really got started yeah and i mean particularly in uh in and around the rockies there's uh you know plenty of opportunities there and uh, as you say it's uh, it's a bit more than five <laughs> 500 acres you know totally and i mean you know you can't fail to get something i mean the rockies is just so photogenic that you know you you'd be hard pressed to not get something good there but you know I don't live there I am five hours away so I do get into the Rockies yep. fairly regularly but um my hometown is you know we have big big well they, they they are still mountains but they're by British standards certainly and by Australian they're, they're huge <laughs> but uh, they're not like Rockies kind of mountains but um uh, yeah I remember uh, my last trip to uh, the Rockies. So we we took a helicopter trip uh, oh, cool. up up to a lake, which is at about the same elevation as the highest peak in Australia, Mount Kosciuszko. Oh, yeah, uh, and that lake was in a valley. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and a long way down in the valley. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't realise that you, so you've been to Canada. How many times have you been? Uh, I've been uh, twice now. Oh, okay. 
and yeah. always to that area or well my my daughter was uh living there at the time oh okay that's cool yeah. she, she was actually living in banff at the time which was, oh nice yeah, yeah very nice <laughs> and, yeah uh, it's a, yeah yeah so uh obviously um you know been to calgary been there been vancouver um right haven't been over to the uh eastern provinces yet uh but we did um did a did a trip up to Yellowknife up to um uh to see the aurora which right uh we did three days up there this was uh actually last uh, not last december the december for december 19 and uh yeah we did three days there and um the first two nights it was just socked in cloud oh that sucks. <laughs> yeah, the third the third day that we were there, it snowed the whole day. And oh no. <laughs> it was not looking real good. And then uh I think we'd been sort of out at out at the location we were, you know, going to be shooting at. And um probably about eleven PM it, the sky just cleared and out came the Aurora. So we managed to get yeah. to see it. it. Wasn't the strongest it had ever been. I think it was about a a two and a half three sort of right. thing you know but um, yeah. yeah fascinating yeah. to see and you know oh yeah managed to get yeah. a few nice shots and a few really bad shots because you know, <laughs> still yeah. still learning how to do that uh that sort of shooting because it, it is quite different to most of what i do yes yeah it's yeah we we do get the aurora here as well but not nearly the same as you do up in yellow knife and um I've never been to Yellowknife actually. My brother used to live there, but um, yeah, we do get the aurora, but um, it's you know it's not nearly as bright down here normally. But it's it's yeah. so cool to see, and I find it interesting that you you know you can have an, an aurora predictive app, and it tells you that there is an aurora that night. You can go outside and stand there, but you can't see it. You have to get yeah. if you get the camera out, then take a shot, and then it's like whoa, there's aurora. Yeah. <laughs> so then you, head you, to the spot. You could see ours with the naked eye, but um, oh, yeah. the, the camera really brought it out, obviously, because you can yes. get that uh, 25, 30 second exposure and uh, yeah. get a lot more colour that way. But um, yeah. Uh, anyway, enough about my holiday. <laughs> it's very interesting. I want to get up to Yellowknife. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I want to go back and I want to, want to spend a bit more time there and hopefully get a few more clear nights. But uh, anyway. Um, you know that that that'll be for for, for once the world uh, gets back into international travel again. We're yeah. uh, we're still a bit stuck on that. Yes. So, um, I, I guess tell us a, a little bit how you uh, decided to do photography full time, or you know how it became such a, a big part of your life. I mean, obviously you've got a passion for it, but. Yeah. You know, how do you how do you make that leap from okay well I've got a might have a job or might not you know, mm -hmm. and, and okay this is really what I want to do um well I think continuing on from my story about you know how I started photography living on the island when I actually lived on the island I worked for the National Trust and um, I was lucky enough to sell some of my images in the National Trust uh, shop on the island and also um, I was commissioned by the property manager of the island to shoot some stuff um, as well so that was kind of my launch into making some money from photography you know just in a small way um, when I moved to Canada um, I 
continued, you know, I was so excited to have more places to shoot. Um, I continued to, to photograph things and I would put stuff on Facebook at the time. That was Facebook in 500 PX. Um, so I was posting stuff there and then um, I, people would see, it's strange how people see a landscape photo and then think that you could shoot their wedding and stuff. So I yeah. ended up, you know, doing things like family photos and, um, which was extremely stressful at the time, you know, trying to, because, you know, that kind of photography is extremely different and uh, you need to have people skills as well as operating a camera and stuff. You know, you're controlling children and things happening. Yeah, the, the, the landscape isn't likely to run away, in, you know. No, it does other things, but it doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah, you might not get the light you want, but. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't with a lot of family photography as well, but. So I, so I ended up making some money from people photography. So that's where some, some income was coming in. That inevitably led to uh, somebody asking me to shoot their wedding, which, of course, is extremely stressful. You, you can't mess up. You can't miss the most important moments. Um, but anyway, I shot my first wedding and I survived it and thought, you know, I can kind of do this and you can actually make some decent money from wedding photography. Um, and so... Um, I started to make money from those kind of things. I did um, stuff for charities too. I did work for the uh, BCSPCA, which is, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, I don't know what your equivalent is in Australia, but, uh, you know, like an animal rescue charity. Uh, R RSPCA. Yeah. The RSPCA, yeah, yeah. So um, I actually worked for them for a while. I would do uh, photography for them um, just for the branch that I worked at. So I did kind of... I kind of got my name known in the local community by doing some charity kind of work, covering different things. Um, and it really just sort of escalated from there on. You know, um, I would sell a few prints with landscape photography. And then, um, you know, I, I think I did a, I probably did a workshop or, you know, did a workshop with a friend or something like that. And, yeah. and it's just really kind of progressed. And my photography continues to be, um, you know, I shoot, I love the, like, I love nature and the landscape, you know, those are my real passions. Um, but I, I do enjoy all different types of photography. And um, my income comes from a number of different sources. So, um, you know, I do make money from, you know, writing for a magazine and, you know, different, it comes from a whole bunch of different places. I do some stock photography. Um, yeah. yeah um, but I think that uh, photographing people takes away some of the pressure that many nature and landscape photographers feel to you know they have to sell that side of their they have to sell that photography and that can be really tough and I can make money that way I do do workshops and that kind of stuff but doing the people photography means that I don't have that same pressure to sell that side of yeah. um, business and having a number of different income streams um, is really handy, especially with the pandemic. You know, if I was relying on doing workshops and stuff and flying all over the world, which I don't do a lot of anyway, but, you know, I do do the odd workshop here and there. Um, I think things would be much more difficult, but I do. I shoot for tourism. Um, I do so many different types of photography that um, I've been lucky that, it, you know, I've still been able to manage with the pandemic and everything, too. So. I guess that begs the question, though, how do you fit it all in? It's really difficult. I have a whiteboard here, which is <laughs> full of, you know, I've, I've 
you know, I mean, at the moment, my editing is I've got maternity shoots to edit. I've got a couple of weddings. Um, next week, week, I'm shooting for tourism. Um, I'm going to try and fit in a trip to into the Rockies to try and catch maybe some of the first snow. I'm constantly balancing these things. And I've also found myself in the public speaking circuit because now I'm working with Nikon Canada. Yep. So now I'm, I'm doing public speaking, which for me is really it's actually my nemesis. I really hate public speaking. Um, so I found myself. It's just you and me. There's nobody else listening. Thank goodness. Because if there was anybody else, it would just be terrible. But no, I, I really, it, you know, it was the thing that at university that would make me miss seminars. And, you know, if I had to present something. So I really don't like public speaking, but I'm finding myself more and more in that role. And so now I'm actually being paid to speak and Thankfully, with the recent pandemic, we've been stuck at home and I've had to do a lot of Zoom things, which is a lot better sitting in my office with a cup of tea or, or a glass of whiskey. <laughs> um, it's a lot easier than uh, standing in a huge room full of people. But uh, that that's coming next year. I have quite a lot of big uh, presenting things coming up next year, which um, is pretty scary. But I'm at the stage where I've I need to be planning and getting those things underway and stuff too. So it's that my, my photography is moving into kind of a teaching role, which is um, it's great, but I can still, you know, make some instant money from shooting a family or doing what, whatever, you know, so it's, sure, sure. yeah. So talk, talk to me a little bit about the uh, Nikon uh, ambassadorship. What, what does that entail and how did, how did that come about? Um, I was actually um, approached by Nikon to do a social media partnership. Um, so um, to, uh, you know, sort of a contract to, to work with them and their social media um, to start with. And I think um, I have to be very grateful to Michelle Valberg. I don't know whether you know her. She's a wildlife photographer um, and an Nikon ambassador. And um, she came across my work and very, very kindly kind of pointed me out to Nikon. Um, and so that's how um, I came to their attention. And um, I was invited um, to go to Toronto and speak for Nikon at a convention. So this is when I had the social media partnership. And I, you know, now that you know what I think about public speaking, you know, I just thought, oh, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. Why, why um, did I say yes? Yeah. So I, I, I you know, I, I said, I said yes, but I remember thinking about it and thinking, you know, it, I, I sort of weighed it up because I was absolutely petrified. And I thought to myself, well, would you rather go to, I was trying to think of the, the place in the world that I would love to go to the most and do that thing. Or would you like the potential to be like, working with Nikon and I actually it was the thing with Nikon that was I was just like I really I really want to do this so I'm just gonna have to get over it <laughs> so yeah so I flew to Toronto and I had to give a couple of presentations um and after after that they said they'd be looking at ambassadorships the next year and um asked me if I'd be interested and I was like <laughs> yes yes yeah, it's very, very, um, very excited. And yeah, I've been working with them now for a couple of years. And 
um, it's it's a great it's a great partnership. You know, they don't put any pressure on me. They're just it's been fantastic, and I'm really lucky that I can now get. You know, I've been working with the long the oldest um, the oldest. Uh, not the oldest cameras and stuff, but working with some fairly elderly equipment for, for quite some time. You know, we never had an awful lot of money to spend on camera gear. And it is really nice that I, you know, I'm using the latest mirrorless cameras now. And, yeah. you know, I have access to, you know, the, the newest lenses and I can borrow some things. And yeah, it's it's really nice. Very, very nice. <laughs> so while, while we're talking about gear, what, what are, what are, what's your favourite? piece of new kit that's uh you know come across your desk um i love the mirrorless system and i actually didn't think that i would i with my ambassadorship um i decided to get the d850 i borrowed it from nikon i absolutely loved it yeah and um and and that was the thing i really wanted and i got the eight i got the 850 and then nikon um gave me um their mirrorless camera to use for six months and I and I wanted to try it but at the same time I love the 850 I'm not super technical you know it takes me a little bit of time to figure things out and, and I'm quite intuitive with my shooting so you know I know where buttons are I don't have to think about it it's all just very intuitive and then um to be given a completely different system um you know was a bit of a challenge for me to start with but um Thankfully, they gave it to me for six months because when it came to handing it back, I realized I actually couldn't hand it back. You know, I really didn't want to part with it. Yeah. And it was the, a lot of it was the lenses. The lenses were so sharp um, and that they, they I had the 14 to 30 F4 lens from them. And I just was like, I just I can't give this up. And so I realized that I was going to have to go into using mirrorless and it was so much lighter um, so many advantages. It took me that little bit of time to get used to it. But after I programmed a few buttons so that things were in places that I could find them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I really so I would I would say the mirrorless system I'm using the at the moment I have the Z7 and the Z6 too. Um, and yeah, I, I, I love all the lenses and stuff. So yeah. Oh, no, I haven't uh, haven't made the shift to mirrorless yet. It's uh, oh, you haven't. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> almost. I, well, I I'm still getting value. I, I'm on a Canon shooter. I'm still getting value mm. out of the the sixty Mark II that I got a few years ago. Um, right. Despite the fact that I drowned it once and had, uh -oh. to, had to send it off to get it fixed, but oh, uh, yeah, we've all done that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, you know. It's it's definitely. I mean, I'm I'm obviously I, I don't necessarily want to throw away all the all, all the Canon uh, gear that I've got, and there's you know certainly a couple of lenses that I know using the adapter will work yeah. really nicely with the the the, the new R systems. Um, it's it's just a matter of making that call about is it the R five or the R six? Yeah. Uh, and I don't do a lot of video, so I'm kind of leaning towards the R6 because a it's cheaper, but you know, b I'm also still torn because there are some features on the R5 that I'm going. I could, yeah, use. I don't now because I don't have one. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know, I know, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the problem is is if you if you're given something to try out, 
that yeah. it's a, it's a problem because then you're hooked in and you know it's yeah. hard to give it back once you've you've had it. I mean, I probably would have sat looking at mirrorless, you know, thinking, oh, that would be nice. It'd be a bit lighter and, you know. Yeah. And that's really, kind of where I, I'm at at the moment, is that? Well, yeah, that was it. And I loved my 850. You know, I absolutely love that camera. So, you know, I was very happy. But then there were just the the some of the features, things like the focus peaking and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very, very handy. And also being able to see kind of what you're shooting you know you can see the sun star you can see whether your shutter speed is too slow you yep. can see if your highlights are blown out um there's so much that you can actually see whilst you're shooting yeah. um that uh yeah. Yeah. yeah don't bother don't try one that's that would be my advice <laughs> don't try it because you're probably gonna want it <laughs> no, I've, I've already i've already sat and watched most of the videos that are out there and i, I yeah. definitely too it's it's just a matter of timing and you know just you know sorting out the sorting out the funding and all that sort of thing as that's well right. and it's hard to to have to get a whole new system but i mean i guess if you can use some of those lenses um then that you know that helps yeah, the problem is the lenses the cost because they're the they're the totally. thing that are really gonna you know make the difference cost wise yeah know? yeah but i think for me certainly having some of the mirrorless lenses that was the thing that really hooked me in. They were so sharp and so clear and uh, yeah. So that I was just, you know, it was just, okay, I'm going to have the camera. Now I just need all those lenses. <laughs> it's so good. always the way though, isn't it? You know, I know. So yeah. Body, it's like, oh, well, oh, that lens would go well with this. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I <laughs> it's a problem. I don't think the gear envy ever stops. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So how, how far would you travel each year for, for your photography? I'm actually fairly local. Like I don't actually travel a huge amount. Um, I, you know, for the most part, my, my travels take me five hours towards the Rockies and five hours towards Vancouver and the island, Vancouver Island. Yep. So that's the, the kind of pretty much my travel. Um, I, I am doing a workshop in Scotland next year and did one a couple of years ago. So that will, I will obviously um, be traveling for that. Um, and my speaking engagements are taking me a bit further afield. I'll be on the East coast of Canada for that next year. And, but for my actual shooting, um, you know, I have a van that I, that I sort of go around in and I'm quite happy with finding things that are, pretty local um, yeah. and we can obviously when there's not a pandemic you know I can cross down into the states um, and go down into like Oregon yeah, and that kind not of... that far from the Pacific Northwest and no no so I mean I haven't done a lot of that but part, part of that has also been that you know we our, my daughter has just turned 18 and just moved out so suddenly after 18 years I actually have some freedom to do some stuff and you know for the longest time I was I, I had some kind of a job as well as the photography so yeah. you know you can't just skip off and, and do stuff but you know I'm actually looking at being able to travel a bit more and you know not have to be back for, for my daughter um, and and I don't have you know I'm now full-time uh, as a photographer making money that way so I can actually do that and having a van means I can do it pretty cheaply and stuff and just stay in the van and so what are what are the things that 
I guess makes your stuff distinctive you know what do you what do you think you're doing that might be different to others and and why do you do them I, that's a tough one because I don't know that my stuff is different to other people's I guess the only thing that that well, one of the things that has separated me from other photographers is the fact that I do shoot so many different things. Yeah. Um, and so I and I also think that um, because I shoot those different things, they all interconnect to some extent. So I'm finding that when I'm shooting some smaller scenes and, you know, maybe using a macro lens, some of what I know about portrait photography and stuff will come into play. And if I'm you know, shooting environmental portraits or a person in the landscape, obviously knowing about landscape photography, excuse me, um, is a huge asset because I have a bit of an understanding of, you know, how to make sure I don't lose the highlights in the sky and, you know, shoot it like a landscape, but have a person in it or a dog in it or whatever it is. And so for me, there's no real uh, division between any of the different genres and I shoot whatever whatever I feel like you know so if I'm out somewhere and I come across a scene and I I photograph it you know say it's a waterfall or something and then I think oh I wonder what it would look like if my friend stood in there you know so then maybe she'll stand there or I've got the dog with me and I and I I'm missing something in the landscape that gives it a focus then maybe you know I'll use the dog as a as a, as a kind of a focal point so and sometimes I shoot, you know, pure, a pure landscape and sometimes I throw something else in there. And then when I get them home, I look at them and I try and figure out which one I like best. And, yeah. you know, so um, I just I think that might be there are other photographers that do the same thing. But I know that as I was progressing with my photography, you know, I was consistently told that you should really be, a, you know, a landscape photographer or yeah, a, every, you know, everyone hold into a genre yeah you need to have a genre you know and that was what I was told all the time you need to have a genre you're never gonna you know nothing's ever gonna happen if you do all this different stuff and then I think probably one of the things that gave me the biggest step up was um 500 px asked me to write an article about kind of being a generalist photographer and off of the back of that I think I started getting writing jobs so you know and now you know writing for a magazine I can write for them about landscape photography. I can write about weddings. I can write, you know, about portraits. I can write about, uh, you know, macro scenes. I Because there is that, it does give me that little bit of extra um, scope, I think. So although it was the thing that I was told not to do, I couldn't let go of all the different things because I was too interested in them. Um, and so I just insisted on keeping on doing them and it has actually worked out. Yeah, it sounds like it's opened up a lot more opportunities uh, because you, you you are able to turn your hand to pretty much any of the any of the genres. Yeah, I think for me it has, you know, for you know, I don't think it is the right thing for everybody. I, you know, some people are just that, you know, they want to be just, a, you know, and they're known for being a landscape photographer or whatever it is. Um, but for me, um, it's, it's kind of been okay to be known as kind of a generalist and 
Um, it's given me lots of options and it keeps me really busy and it stops me from being bored. You know, at one point I thought, you know, I can make money from wedding photography. I think I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know, and I thought, OK, that's what I'm going to concentrate on making money from, even though I don't think I could ever stop shooting landscapes and stuff. Mm. But I realized as I sat there, you know, booking wedding after wedding and then sitting on the computer editing, I can't I can't do that. So I book a few weddings. You know, I don't want to book too many. I could book more, but I don't want to because I get bored of doing the same thing and I don't want to do it. And I'd rather have um, different income streams. Yeah, I get I, I, I get you. Um, so what uh, what what do you see as being, uh, I, I guess, your method when it comes to planning and so forth do you go into the field uh with a concept in mind i mean you know you you talk about having to drive five hours to uh to get to the rockies do you i mean obviously you're going to somewhere that you've already thought about do you have a, a, a vision in mind before you get there or do you tend to let the concept come to you by reacting to you know where where you happen to land yeah um more and more the second so more and more just allowing everything to happen and i think um you know probably in in the past i would try and plan things more i might see an image of something and think oh i'm gonna go there and i'm gonna you know i've seen that image and i'm gonna try and get something similar and then there's the the thing of you know you get there and then the conditions aren't right and then you feel disappointed and you know, so I've done all of that stuff and I understand, you know, how, you know, I understand why people do that. But more and more, I'm just going with the flow. I'm just going with what nature presents to me and trying to, um, you know, not be rigid in my thinking, just to try and react to the elements. If it means I'm using a long lens and, you know, shooting with a longer lens, then fine, you know, whereas I used to go in and think, okay, so, you know, what's my foreground here, you know, and have my wide angle ready to go. And, you know, but now it's more and more, what I'm trying to do is arrive at a place and see what kind of speaks to me. So what is it that's important to me? What am I finding in the scene that's of interest? And rather than kind of trying to uh, sort of sculpt nature to what I want I'm trying to react to what nature presents and you know and I think as your skills improve as a photographer you're more able to do that too because you can you know whip out a long lens or you know go for a macro or whatever it is and I um more and more I'm finding myself doing that and I also find that that makes me a much happier photographer I feel way less stressed oh. um and, and and I'll just, you know, a lot of the time I'm literally just walking the dog. I'm out with the dog and something, I see something yeah. and, you know, I can just, I can shoot it there and then, or I'll see something and think, oh, you know, if the weather conditions are a certain way, this is going to be potentially something that would work. So I think you're also, you know, banking banking knowledge banking you know knowing oh okay if I come back in the fall there may be mist on this lake or whatever it is I'm gonna I'm gonna potentially come back here and see but then trying not to be disappointed if it's not that because usually there's something else and yeah. if you're really disappointed you miss the something else <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean I've spoken to quite a few photographers obviously um for, for the podcast and you know quite a lot you know, talk about how they might get to a location and be disappointed because the, you know, the, the conditions aren't quite right or whatever. But 
almost always, almost all of them always talk about, okay, well, you just refocus and you shoot something different than what you yeah, had in totally. your Yeah, and I, th I think that that comes with, for, certainly for me, that has come with experience because I would go get disappointed and then just be grumpy and not be able to see anything else. Yeah. But now, you know, I think just going with the flow and then nature presents something incredible that you're just not expecting and um, just trying to, you know, react to that. So I, mean, I think probably most of my shots that I like the best have been ones that have been completely unexpected. Mm -hmm. Something has just happened. It may have happened for like all of, you know, five, 10 minutes and I've managed to capture it. And it was just, you know, not pre-planned, didn't expect it, didn't know those conditions would occur and it just happened. So, and I mean, I think you do, you know, like if you're, if you're heading into the Rockies in the fall, you know, you have certain things in mind. You're thinking, oh, there might be some color. There might be some mist. There might be, you know, there's all those things. There might be a bit of snow with some large trees and there's all that stuff in your mind and you're kind of hopeful of different conditions. But, and so you go maybe at that time of the year, sure. knowing that that might be the kind of thing you get. Um, but yeah, I think, really going with the flow has really made me feel a lot less stressed and renewed my kind of interest in just, just keeping it, just keeps it really fresh. Yeah. 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 Um, so in, in terms of, uh, you know, you mentioned a, a, a few uh, social media things, where, where do you see social media in terms of photography and, you know, positive? Is it, is it, you know, good, is it bad? Is it indifferent? And, and um, how, how do you how do you use it? I guess is a, a, another point. So first off, where where do you stand on it? And second, where 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 do you see uh, you you utilizing it best? Uh, I I so I I have to, I mean I have to be thankful to social media because that's how if you remember me living on that small island, if I hadn't had that then I don't think I, it, that gave me some impetus to create and to share because I had somewhere to share what I was shooting. So I'm actually quite grateful to social media. Uh, when it comes to sharing something that's really personal about myself, you will never ever know what's going on truly in my life. I don't share that stuff on social media and you will never know if, you know, if, if I've burnt the bread or done something or, you know, you're not gonna know that stuff. I don't put it on there. Um, and I probably, if I wasn't using it for my photography, I probably wouldn't use social media at all because I'm not really interested in that other side of it. Yeah. But certainly for photography, I've really enjoyed it and I continue to utilize it a lot. And it is the source of much of my uh, income. Uh, it's where I've been able to connect with a lot of different businesses and companies and what have you. Um, but I think you have to, you have to put it in its place within your mind and you don't want to be obsessed with it. I, you know, so many people get, you know, the algorithm does this and they don't get any likes and then they start to feel, you know, I just keep plugging away. I try not to give a shit basically. <laughs> I'm just yeah, like, yeah. whatever. I know it's an algorithm. You know, I mean, yesterday I had a lady message me and she told me that I was an elitist bigot. <laughs> <laughs> because okay, I, that's, that's I, really cool. <laughs> I know it's a nice it was a nice thing but I um I'd done something in my Instagram stories uh, you know uh, asking people 
whether what their thoughts were on geotagging. And so there was a whole discussion and I tried to not be to come down on either side, particularly, but just to have an open discussion about what people's thoughts were. And of course, you know, out of all of that, I only had the one person who but I, I just, you know, like, I, I don't care, you know, really, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And I, I think I'm able to just put that kind of stuff in a box and not worry about it because there's always going to be those kind of people out there. And a lot of people do seem to get very affected by, you know, if people don't like their stuff or, you know, I, you know, obviously it's things bomb and you just think, Oh, great. But there's so much that's an algorithm and stuff. And if I like it, I'm going to still like it, you know, and it's not going to stop me. And if I, I might post it literally, you know, I might post it today and it will bomb and I could post it in six months time and it will be amazing on there. It means nothing. And yeah. I, that's kind of how I think of it. And I think the other thing with social media is, is it does like to pigeonhole you and people like to see the same things over and over. Yeah. Um, they know they follow you for a reason. And then if you don't post that kind of stuff and you post something different, you're going to lose followers. And yeah. I almost, I, you know, I kind of, I, I, I almost make it my business to keep, you know, posting different things that will make people decide they don't want to follow me because I don't want to be put in a box and I don't want to have to produce stuff that, you know, I know people like, I know what people like, I know what to post that will garner likes for me. Um, but I, I still want to make sure that I'm not put in that box and, and so that I can only shoot and share the same stuff. I want to be able to shoot and share whatever I want. Yeah. And so I think you have to be kind of a bit hardened to the fact that some of it's just going to bomb, you know, but. So, so you're not a slave to the grid then? I, I try not to be, no. I mean, I think, you know, we're all, it affects us all a bit, but I try not to even, yeah. you know, like I use social media a lot. And um, and as I say, it has been very useful to me, but I, I try not to internalise uh, any of it really and i think if, if you treat it like a tool which it can be and you don't yes. get caught up in the you know the follows and likes and all the rest of that sort mm. of it, it, it does make a big difference the other thing you you get a lot and you know from conversations i've had with people uh, a lot of either what do you call it imposter syndrome or you know um uh you know comparisons between my work and somebody else and the way yeah. i always sort of talk to people when they you know ask about that it's well i'm at where i am in my learning curve you're at where you are in your learning curve and everyone's learning curve is different and everyone's journey in social media everyone started at different times so the people that have got you know, seven or 800,000 followers have probably been there for 10 or 15 years or whenever. Exactly, yeah. It, it's, and they got into it early, you know. Yeah, it's and, no measure of how good you are as a photographer. Yeah. Some of the best photographers I've come across have got tiny followings and it means absolutely, absolutely nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't, one, I don't one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast as well, I mean, I've, I've spoken to people, you know, with that, you know, seven or 800,000 follower following, but I've also spoken to people with as few followers as you know five six eight hundred you know yeah yeah not not because you know 
um, of anything other than the quality of what they're shooting and what I'm seeing in their feeds, you know. Yeah, totally. It, it is about, you know, trying to find that, um, I guess, that mental uh, balance where it's a tool, it's a way of getting yourself known. If you're not well known now, don't worry too much about it. If you are really well known, well, you're going to, I mean, as you probably are aware, you are going to get garner some negative comment back, you know. Yeah. People calling you an elitist bigot, for example. Yes. Yes, really good. <laughs> yeah. So there are, you know, the, the, there's also a lot of, uh, you know, not necessarily nice things about having a, a, a huge following as well, you know. I, yeah. mean, I, I, I personally don't have a massive following and I, I don't care if I do or I don't really. And I, you, you'll never see me post, you know, oh, look, I've made 3,000 or 4,000 or 5,000 followers this week or month or whatever, you know, because... Mm -hmm. I don't really look at it that much, you know. I mean, yeah. I know what the number is, but I don't care about it. It's... No, and I don't think, you know, that's when, when people are suddenly, you know, they, they'll sort of say, oh, my, you know, oh, I've lost all these followers. And I just like, I don't even bother looking. They go up and down, the they, they play with you. You know, they know you're at a big number, so they hold them back. Yeah. So then people start paying to get more followers. And then suddenly, you know, once you hit the number, suddenly you've got loads of followers because they've been holding, you know, it's all just a game. And I think you just don't want to get too involved with it. Don't, don't look at it too closely. It's a it's a really good tool. But I, I, I try not to just I try not to go into all of the different uh, can't think of the word. What are the things that you can look into all your all the analytics, um, yeah. yeah, all the analytics and stuff. You know, I, I I don't really worry too much about that. And just, yeah, when, I just... when I first started the the business account, for example, um, mm -hmm. I, I, I had a look to see what the tools could tell me. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember the last time I looked at them. You know, I've had that yeah. for about three years. <laughs> yeah. Probably at least 18 months since I've looked at those. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I do, you know, I have a look at what's happening with my with my following and you know at the moment it's very very slow and you know but I think it is for most people I think there's you know they've done something again to the algorithm they change, they change the algorithm and yeah and I just I, there's no point in panicking or getting stressed about it. I just just do the same thing that I always do and you know just keep plugging away at it and yeah I mean I think I post regularly and so that's something that can really help to uh, keep a steady kind of uh, following but um, yeah one I mean, of the other things I think is um, because I know um, well almost all of them I, I think all of them have uh, you know some kind of algorithm about showing your posts more frequently or to more people when you're more engaged because they're yeah. all about trying to hook you into using the app for as long yeah. as you know yeah the way they're designed mm -hmm. but if you do engage you know and there, there's tools that can help you do that and just you know when somebody comments and i know that can be hard when you're getting thousands of comments but you know if you're still only getting a you know a, a couple of hundred maybe you mm -hmm. can probably respond to most of them in fact if, yeah. if you get some of the business tools that go along with uh at least in in the facebook and um Instagram space you can you can actually automate some of your <laughs> responses yeah I mean I, you <laughs> not know, that I, that I, I recommend that because 
I don't know what they would be like, but yeah. I mean, I have to say that for me, you know, I, I yeah, you'll be thankful for calling you an elitist. An elitist. I am an elitist bigot. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> for me, like I do feel like if people take the time to comment on my work then I will take the time to reply. Like, I feel like it's, a, you know, it's the same as somebody talking to me in the street. If somebody says to me, I love your hat, I'm not going to just walk by and say nothing. It can be difficult, but I feel like if you put it out there and you're expecting people to like it and say nice things, the least you can do is to, you know, thank people for that. You can't do it all the time if you're really busy or whatever, but for the most part, I do try to make sure that I do because I actually, gen you know, I genuinely feel grateful that somebody has taken the time to say something, yeah. um, you know, and even the lady that wasn't very nice to me yesterday, I took the time to continue that I didn't, rather than blocking her, I thought, no, you know, let's let you have your say. Uh, and I was, you know, uh, it's, a, yeah. it's valid for you. I might not like what you're saying. but uh, Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Oh uh, dear. Anyway, um, I, I guess one of the, one of the impacts from social media uh, is that you know the, you were talking about the geotagging in particular. You know, do do you geotag, and if if so, why, and if if not, why not? Um, and I guess what's what are you seeing out in the field in particular in terms of the impact that social media is having on you know people traveling to these locations and trying to get the shot mm -hmm. uh, and you know how, how do you see that sort of playing out over the uh, over the next little while um i I'm, I'm definitely seeing places that i've you know because i do shoot quite locally i'm seeing the deterioration of of places i'm seeing you know exposed tree roots in areas that have become you know that have that have been named on Instagram and stuff where more and more people are coming and, you know, around waterfalls where the, you know, the environment is quite sensitive. It's soft, you know, the tree roots are becoming exposed and I, there's lots of places that I'm seeing things like that. Unfortunately, um, my own, my own, I mean, the other thing I was thinking yesterday was just because there is that space to geotag doesn't mean you actually have to fill it in. You know, you can just leave it blank and not put anything. You can also do what Nick Page does and say it's Mesa Arch. Mesa Arch, yeah, <laughs> totally. But, you know, I think that's the thing is, you know, because I tend to be relatively vague, I might put British Columbia or, um, you know, something. I think that is that puts some people's backs up because they feel like I'm deliberately not giving out information. Exactly. And so, I mean, but but why should you even fill in that little box? There's nothing that says that you have to geotag anything. It doesn't, doesn't um, stop posting. No, no. So, I mean, why do we why do we have to fill it in? Why do we have to put anything in there if we don't want to? But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, and I will, you know, if I go to, for example, you know, I'll go to a tulip festival or something and you, people pay money to go in and it's a tourist attraction, I'll happily geotag that. And, you know, they'll probably be quite happy that I have. But if I'm going somewhere that is a bit sensitive or even if it's not, um, if it's really because people will give the example of a famous place. And so they'll say, well, I'll geotag that because it's famous. But then if it's famous, you don't need to geotag it because everybody knows where it is anyway. And Google Maps is there. And if you 
know how to use it. And I, I, I do wonder there are, I mean, I, I posted a, a shot recently of a, a lighthouse, which is um, on the foreshore in Sydney Harbour. Mm-hmm. There's like five of them and two or three of them look similar because right. they're around the same time. And somebody asked me where this particular one was because I had, I just said Sydney, Australia, not because yeah. I, it, it's a highly trafficked place. There's, there's a road to it. You can park, yeah. you know, a hundred metres from, from where this lighthouse is. So it's not yeah. like I was trying to hide it or anything, but somebody asked me where it was and it was yeah. like, okay. Um, yeah. It's Bradley's head, which I'm fine to tell them because it, yeah road there and it's it's not that hard but and literally it's not it's one of two or three that look look the same or look similar anyway yeah yeah I just sort of found it interesting though that people you know needed to know where it was you know Um, it, 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 it is so I mean the other the other day somebody posted in their stories a waterfall and it was viewed from a train and they said it was in Jasper or something. And yeah. it took me all of two seconds to Google to put that's, those words yeah. and, that, you know, and find it. That's the thing. The guy, the guy could have looked at, you know, it, and used um, Street View and actually seen it from the road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, a, a strange... Thing. And I know there's a, an area in the Rockies that is ver- has been very popular this year. Uh, last year, it wasn't so popular. But there were a few photographers there, um, but there was a YouTube video made and at least one and, you know, a, f- a few people had gone there. And I knew I know that that place will become overrun. Like I saw the difference between, you know, last year and this year. And I imagine that from what I've seen on social media this year, next year, it will be explosive. Um, That place will probably be trashed fairly quickly, unfortunately. Um, And I also don't want to go there once that amount of traffic gets there. So for me, I thought, well, this might be my I'm going to go this year. I'm going to spend a few days there. I probably won't go next year because I don't want to be there with hordes of other people. I know what's going to happen. It's just going to become absolutely overrun. Um, and unfortunately, that's the real downside of social media because it's we, we've all just got so much more ability to communicate these days. In the past, you know, you might see a photograph in a book, you know, you didn't have the internet. You have to, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, have any way of asking the photographer where they took it or anything like no, that? No, you'd have to go and get an encyclopedia out or go to the library. You know, it was a whole different process. Now, everything, you know, you just pick up your phone and in two seconds, if I've got even vaguely an idea, I can find out where yeah. anything is. And if you don't strip the EXIF data off of things, you know, you can get the information off people's phone pictures and, you know, you can find out so much stuff about where things are. It's, yeah. it's the world is an entirely different place. And so we're dealing with something that's really very different to anything that's happened in the past. And so huge numbers of people can go to places. We've got more ability to travel, yep. you know, and we've got more ability to communicate. And so we can trash places much faster than has ever happened before. And so somehow we have to to, to do something a bit differently, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, uh, aside from the education of you know, the, the general populace and people that want to go and get the shot or whatever 
that are you know following photographers do you think mm. this is actually forcing some photographers to go to even more and more remote places and trying to get something that's totally unique totally untrashed totally you know mm. I, I mean i i've i've certainly noticed you know the the amount of traffic into places like iceland and even greenland and the faroe islands has just increased exponentially over the last few years um, yeah, I think that there is that. I think people are wanting to try and find something that's different. And yeah, definitely there is that that need to to shoot something that hasn't been shot before. And so we're just spreading, you know, everywhere, um, trying to find that uniqueness as more and more people are, you know, are sharing and shooting. And, you know, and in a lot of ways, it's fantastic. You know, with an 18 year old, I see my daughter, you know, social media can give her a reason to go out to photograph a sunset to you know go to a beautiful place and you know take some pictures and then she can share them on social media so that there are some really positive sides to it too you know it gets her out from sitting up in her bedroom on a screen or sitting in front of the television or whatever and it can give people a purpose and to see you know you know people going to these places and doing their instagram selfies it's a lot healthier than some of the other things they could be doing um, but then there is just also that added, the added numbers of people and the, the you know, what the impact that that's having on, you yeah. know, on places. Yeah, and I think in particular, some of those places that, uh, you know, may not really have the, the infrastructure for the volume of people wanting to go there. Uh, as well as is starting to become a, a real problem. I was talking to uh, a New Zealand photographer recently who was saying that up until the pandemic, they were particularly in the South Island of New Zealand, they were starting to get quite concerned about the volume of people, you know, not only the spectacular stuff coming out of Instagram, but there was also um, good old uh, Peter Jackson with his, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings trilogy and the, and the yeah. Hobbit and everything, you know, just showing yeah. off Middle Earth and everybody wants to go and visit them. Yeah, totally. See yeah. that yeah. landscape, you know. Yeah, because I know I was in New Zealand for six months um, before uh, Lord of the Rings, and I was travelling around in, in, in a tent, basically, with not very much money, just travelling around New Zealand, and I believe it's a very different place to the place that I experienced back then. Yeah, well, I've, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen photos and videos of queues of camper vans and you know, tourist buses and whatever at some yeah. locations. And it's, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, the, um, the, the, the good old Wanaka tree, you know. <laughs> yeah. And somebody hacked the limb off, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah. It just, yeah, yeah, it just makes you wonder sometimes, but. Uh, I know, I know there was an ice cave in the Rockies last winter and uh, somebody had gone in and like scrawled, I think they must've cut it in with a knife or something and put something about Instagram on it. So basically they were having a go at those people that were going there for an Instagram shot, trying to ruin their Instagram shot by, yeah. you know, scrolling across it. But I mean, it's, it makes them as bad as, it's just, it's just awful really. And people are still going there. They're just having to Photoshop the scroll out of the, the shots, but. Honing up yeah. the cloning tools. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, it, it certainly makes me wonder sometimes that, uh, you know, what, what gets in people's heads. But I guess, you know, it's one of the things in terms of education that 
uh, hopefully, you know, platforms like mine and also yourself on on social media uh, can, you know, help a little bit and educate people, uh, you know, not to go leaving their rubbish around, not to, you know, go traipsing beyond fences and so forth, you know, where, you know, you, you're getting into what can be quite sensitive and, uh, you know, delicate ecologies and yeah. you know, just trashing the place, you know. Um, and it doesn't take that much foot traffic to 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 actually cause some damage to some of these oh, places. Oh, no. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it, it really doesn't, you know, especially places that are kind of wet or, you know, alpine areas where it takes years and years for those tiny trees to grow and then somebody just you know yeah, I just I think it's it's just a matter of awareness because we don't we get into photography usually because you know not necessarily as people who know much about nature we yeah. might get into it because we just you know we like a sunset or but as we continue with that I think it, you you begin to hopefully begin to learn about nature and learn about and we all do things that are wrong. We've all stepped over the fence. We've all, you know, gone off the footpath. We've all done the stuff. Yeah. But I think, you know, it, you know, to, to if you do have any kind of a platform to just to kind of let people know that it's not what you want to be doing. You know, we're all yeah. we're all going to do the wrong thing at some point. But if we can start to educate each other. And there are, you know, so many things I, I don't know, you know, when it comes to things like wildlife photography, I thought it would be interesting to, to take up a bit of wildlife photography. Oh. And, you know, I, I didn't know anything about it. And I started listening in to some things about wildlife photography. I'm learning, you know, so many things that I didn't know about what you shouldn't do, mm. you know, but I wouldn't have known that I'd have just gone out with my camera. And, you know, but I think if, if we can use social media to at least spread the word about, you know, hopefully in a way that's not too horribly preachy, but just letting people know that, you know, it, it's not really, it's not what you do. You don't want to do that because there is an impact. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I guess what are you, what are you looking for in a location, you know, in, in terms of how unique it is or, you know, how, how do you look for something that is unique, you know, extending on from that, you know, mm -hmm photographers looking for something that's different right what 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 are you what is it that you're looking for that is different I guess I don't know I mean I think if you if you shoot in things like different weather conditions you know for example here in Canada in the winter we have snow and ice which in the UK we don't have and to me it's one of the most magical times of the year because what can be just a normal scene becomes something incredible because you don't know how that ice is going to form. You don't know what kind of shapes it's going to make. Sure. Um, and so I think, you know, you can go to the same place over and over, but you can shoot it in different conditions um, and, and perhaps capture something that's really unique. And I think it doesn't have to be, you know, I, you know, I don't feel like I have to go to a brand new place but I enjoy seeing, you know, maybe the same place, but in different, you know, with different things happening. Um, and yeah, like, you know, heading into the Rockies at the beginning of winter when there's ice forming on lakes and there's frost flowers and there's, you know, that to me, that's just magical because what can be really mundane is really interesting. And you can be in a parking lot with a bunch of leaves, 
you know, lying on the ground with really cool kind of ice on them or something. You don't have to go to exotic places necessarily to find um, some really interesting things. It can be literally in the parking lot. You know, you just have to look and, you know, go out. And I think that's what I'm enjoying about uh, kind of shooting smaller scenes and not going out with too many preconceptions because I'm actually noticing things in forests and things that are different that I probably would never have seen before because I'd be too busy planning my next big sunrise shoot at the base of whatever mountain. But now I'm seeing, you know, these smaller things and there's just, there's all sorts of interesting stuff out there. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that, that, that's great advice. What, what do you think you've learned about the world through photography? Oh, that is a big question. <laughs> What have I learned about the world with oh, because of photography? Whoa, wow, that's so vast. I don't know where to start with that. Um, I've learned so much because photography has been such an integral part of my life for so long that probably most things I know are, are connected with photography because it's what I I even dream it. You know, I dream in f-stops quite a lot. I'll wake up or I'd be thinking that's f2.8. You know, I'm actually dreaming those things. There's so much. I can't even begin to, you know, I've seen if I go to, you know, even just things like wedding photography, I I see people on on a particular day where it's the best and the worst of people. You know, I see that side of things. I've you know, I've worked in shelters and photographed things with animals that have been, you know, really difficult and really interesting. And with the landscape, I think, you know, uh, kind of landscape photography has taught me so much about nature and um, just so much. Just, And I think it gives me a purpose to be you know, I don't, I, I don't, I, I kind of feel like I don't need anything else. I meet people through photography. I don't need to know anything about them. It doesn't matter how many kids they've got, or what they do for a living or whatever. If we have a camera and we want to go shoot a lake or something, then we'll get on. Like it's, it's as simple as that. You know, it, um, I, and I, I have a purpose when I head out with a camera. It doesn't matter where I'm going. I've always got something that, um, that I can do. I may have completely gone off topic there. No, no, it's such a huge question. I'm not quite <laughs> sure how to I'm, answer I'm, it. I'm just interested. You know, I mean, as you as you can tell, I'm uh, I'm I'm quite passionate about hearing stories from people about uh, you know what 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 they do and don't do and what they what they like and what they don't like. Um, I guess what what's your most memorable um, experience in in photography so far? Probably another big question. But. That's another big question. Um, I think, you know, I think one of the, there's so many different things, but I think um, being asked to be an icon ambassador was a pretty major thing. You know, if you, if you, if you love photography and you have a camera brand that wants to work with you, you know, that's kind of the epitome of, for me, that was just like, wow, you know, that kind of makes me feel like maybe I'm not producing total shite all the time. <laughs> you know, somebody thinks this is okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, somebody it, likes it, what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, most of the time I, I know certainly I'm questioning whether or not it's rubbish and, you know, it's so if some, if a camera company comes to you and says, we'd like to work with you that, you know, then you're like, wow, that is amazing. Like who'd have thought that that would happen. 
so that that was a that was a pretty big moment for me i think that's fantastic what about the uh the least favorite thing what's your least favorite thing about being a photographer i i I really like being a photographer um (laughs) yeah but there must be some aspects you don't like the business side maybe i don't know yeah the business side for sure i'm definitely not uh i'm not I'm not good with the business side. Um, and that's something I really struggle with, certainly to start with, and I still do. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that and, um, you know, people's, I think not so much now, but when I was first starting out, um, people not really understanding that you're shooting in RAW and you need to edit and, you know, can I have a 6 million of those? And then you're like, well, I have to edit them. And, you know, they don't really understand that. They want all the pictures of their kid or whatever it is, uh, you know. Um, well, you get the, fo- the the question, was was that Photoshopped? That's right, yeah, all the time. Oh, yeah, oh, that's Photoshop. Or, or, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> all those things. Yeah, those are the things that I, I don't love. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel extremely lucky to, to be able to um, make a living doing this. I love it so much um, that I feel really lucky to, to be able to do that. And I think probably at one point when I was, uh, my, my business was building and I was trying to, you know, I was putting in 110%, um, I actually got sick. And I think it was partly to do with just trying to do stuff all the time and put 110% into it and, um not taking any time for myself, you know, like I would have like right now I have a whiteboard that is full of stuff I have to do. But now since getting sick and recovering, thankfully, fully, um, I now build in time, you know, like if I want, you know, to take a day out to go and shoot, even though I feel guilty because I've got all this stuff and people saying, when am I going to get my this? When when is this going to happen? I go and do the thing. I go and take the day. And so I think, you know, building that in has has been something. But that was a really that was a shitty part of the photography journey, I think, just, you know, overworking and and trying to produce. Um, just, yeah, just really kind of overdoing it and not building in enough time for myself and just allowing myself that bit of time for what I want to shoot or what I want to do. But now I really try and do that. Yeah, no, I. I, I... Totally get that. So what would you tell 15-year-old Victoria if you were able to travel back in time and tell her about your your life now? Ooh, I don't know. At that age, I was very much into art and I didn't get my first camera until I was 18. So what would I tell me? I don't know. I actually don't think would you have listened (laughs) I probably wouldn't yeah knowing the person I was back then I'd probably have said no I'm not doing (laughs) no I I don't know like I I wouldn't change anything actually of 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 my whole life I'm very happy with everything all the bad things that something good has come from them um so I I wouldn't change anything um yeah I don't know I, I just I don't know what I would say I remember changing my name at 16 because uh, my name was spelt Victoria with a, with a C and I changed it to a K because I thought it was more unusual. And what if I got famous? It would be well, useful yeah. to have a different name. <laughs> well, I haven't achieved fame, but, <laughs> you know, I have got that slightly different name. But, yeah, I don't know. I can't think of 
I can't think of anything that I would really tell myself back then. Not to change, you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's been really difficult to manage, actually. So maybe, yeah, don't change your name. It's, it's a mouthful. <laughs> Fair enough. What, what would you tell somebody that's just starting out and wanting to get into landscape photography? I would say listen to listen to your intuition listen to what is of interest to you because I've unfortunately come across people who have you know gone on workshops or you know had mentors or whatever who have steered them in a direction that is away from what they naturally are interested in and they've sort of told them that this is how you should shoot this is what you what you should shoot you know here's the shot I've seen that so many times arriving at a, a location and the person that's kind of leading the thing is saying, okay, so, you know, basically put your tripod here and this is the, this is the scene. This is the composition. Yeah. yeah. Make sure you're shooting in manual. Cause you know, if you shoot with aperture priority or something, it's a big no, no, but you know, I would say, you know, don't, you know, shoot what speaks to you. Like if, if you approach a scene and there's something that speaks to you and it's totally different to what speaks to the other person, shoot the thing that speaks to you. And uh, don't get too hung up on the technicalities of stuff. You can figure that stuff out. Um, there's too many people that um, don't take the next step because they don't feel like they can un understand the technicalities. It's much harder to learn to be creative and to have a vision than it is to understand those technical bits. You can get to that. It, yeah. So if you have a vision, don't worry about it. You know, stick with the vision. You'll pick up the technical bits as you go along. So I guess that's what I would say. Great advice. Great advice. So are there any photographers out there that you think I should be talking to or, you know, anyone that's caught your eye recently that uh, I, I should get onto the podcast? Um, there's so many photographers that I, I love um, and... Yeah, so many. There's a couple. I think I feel like because women tend to be slightly underrepresented in the landscape photography field that I should mention a couple of ladies just so that you've got those on, on, on the background just in case. <laughs> so um, one of them is uh, Dani LaFrancois. So she okay. is uh, a, a Canadian photographer and she runs workshops in the Canadian Rockies um, and she does um, landscape photography. So um, have a look at her. And another lady is Serena, and I can't pronounce her last name very well, but it's Zenis, I think, D-Z-E-N-I-S. So she's actually from Australia, but she okay. lives in Iceland. Yeah, so she lives in Iceland, and she, she uh, her husband is a photographer as well. She shoots uh, landscapes, but she also shoots some really interesting kind of cityscape stuff, and she does some very cool kind of mushroom-type things. Okay. But, uh, yeah, she might be a lady to have a look at as well. Very cool. Okay, well, I'll, I'll definitely put them on my list because uh, they're, they're two names that I don't have on the list. Okay. It's uh, great. It's, it's a very long list already. But yes, you, yes, you mentioned that. There's lots of us out there, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's a good thing. It means I can keep yeah. podcasting forever. <laughs> that's good. Get you busy. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, all right. I think we probably about time we should... Uh, look at wrapping up I've got uh, one last and probably the most important question that I can ask you do you like pineapple on pizza yes I do yeah okay. is that the right answer or no I, I don't care personally oh I, I like it yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I am a, I am a neutral on that if it's if it's oh, on really? pizza, I'm not going to pick it off but if it's no. 
Bits are all still either. Oh, I, I'll eat almost anything. So it doesn't it doesn't have to be there, but I do like it. No, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I we could talk for hours. I know uh, on this, it's a it's a big topic, and uh, there's always plenty to talk about. But um, yeah. thank you very much for taking the time, Victoria. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to to you and. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing some of your work. Where can people find what you do? Thank you so much, Grant. Um, I am on Instagram, um, Victoria Hark. My name is a very strange spelling, so you have to <laughs> kind of check that carefully. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Victoria Hark Photography. No worries. Yeah, and a website. Yeah. Yep, and you've got the, the website, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Grant. It's really, really great to have been chatting with you. Absolute pleasure. I'll I'll put the, uh, the the links in the show notes as well. So okay. uh, th thanks again, Victoria. It's uh, it, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm Grant Swinburne and I hope to see you out shooting soon.